gathered the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. The Lord sent thee on a journey, said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 28, Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than you. Verse 34, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house of Gibeah. Verse 35 says, And Saul came no more to see, I'm sorry, and Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. I'm going to preach tonight for a few moments. How long do I hold on? How long do I hold on? Let's put our Bibles down and let's go before the Lord in prayer on this New Year's Eve. God, we love you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for every blessing. I thank you for every moment of deep spiritual encounter. I thank you for every moment of victory. God, I thank you for every time that you have talked with us, every time that you have dwelt with us, every time we felt your presence. God, I thank you. I give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory for every season that we have experienced. God, you are mighty. You are worthy. We thank you and we praise you. God, I pray that your word would be with us, that your word would be in us. God, we thank you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands unto him as we're seated tonight. You can be seated. First Samuel 15 is not an unfamiliar story in the legacy of of one named Saul. The first anointed king, the first anointed earthly king of the people of Israel. It is not an unknown passage in the saga of his kingly reign. It is not an unknown passage in the ministry of the prophet Samuel. We find in 1 Samuel 15 that God has given Saul instructions. Instructions to completely annihilate the people of the Amalekites. And unfortunately tonight we're not going to take the time to discover why God would ask him to perform such a task. However, we find that when the prophet Samuel arrives at the encampment of the army of Israel, 
that he begins to hear a strange noise. For you see, God had instructed Saul to completely wipe out everything that belonged to the Amalekites. I want you to slay every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. I don't want there to be any remembrance of these Amalekites. But he took it a step further and he said, I want you to slay every, every beast, every, uh, every sheep, every cow, every donkey, every camel. I want you to destroy everything that they own. All the livestock needs to die as well. And as Samuel walks into the camp of the Israelite army, he begins to hear the sound of the bleeding of sheep. He begins to hear perhaps the lowing of the cattle. He begins to hear perhaps the whinny of the horses. He begins to hear the sound of the livestock that Saul would not have brought with him to battle. And as Saul greets Samuel, instead of his traditional warm greeting, Samuel asks Saul, what is this that I'm hearing? Why am I hearing the sound of Amalekite cattle? What have you done? And Saul said, well, they brought the cattle from the Amalekites. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. But the rest we've utterly destroyed. And so immediately, just like it is in human nature, well, it's not as bad as you think it is, Samuel. It's an automatic response to deflect responsibility. No, it's not. It's not like that. You see, we did most of what you said. You see, we followed most of the instructions, but not, not all of them. But, but, but the reason, Samuel, that we didn't follow the instructions is because we wanted to offer the sheep and the oxen, the best of them, as offering. So it's the people who did this. The rest we've utterly destroyed. But Samuel, being the man of integrity, the man of morality, the man of God that he was, ignores Saul's attempt to pacify him. He ignores the attempt of Saul to be civil. And he cuts straight to the heart of the matter. And he's, he, he pulls the wool rips off the bandage and he says Saul if this is your idea of obeying the command of God you are sorely mistaken in fact Saul that this blatant disobedience is a reflection of how you take your relationship with God well, this is what I've done. I just, I just wanted to save the best and I wanted to do it my way. That's not what God asked. I wanted, I wanted to kill the, the sheep and the oxen in a sacrifice unto God on the altar, but that's not what God asked you to do. 
Samuel ignores the civility and, and we see the fact that this was Saul's idea of how to obey God's command. It's a reflection of how serious he takes his relationship with God. And we would see it later on in 1 Samuel chapter 22 that we're not going to take the time to read tonight, but we see it later in his life that Saul, what Saul would not want to do to the Amalekites, he didn't want to wipe them all the way out. He spared Agag, king of the Amalekites, and then Samuel, you read the rest of the chapter yourself. Samuel grabs a sword, asks for Agag to be brought out, and the prophet hacks Agag into pieces. What Saul wouldn't do to the Amalekite in 1 Samuel 22, he does to the priests at Nob men of God he wouldn't slay he wouldn't follow the command of God in this small act of destroying everything that displeased God and in turn seven chapters later he's hacking apart men of God verse 16 Samuel said to Saul stay stay right there you just sit down and shut up and I'm going to tell you what God said to me tonight Saul acting like a repentant child okay okay you, you tell me you tell me say on he wasn't ready to hear what God had to say Samuel said when you were little in your own sight I know that that Saul, you stand head and shoulders in physical stature above everybody else. But when you were little in your own sight, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. Let me just pause here and tell you, this isn't even what I'm preaching tonight. This is not where we're going. But let me just pause and tell you, the smaller you can get in your own sight, the less you can, the more you can shrink your ego, then the more God can elevate you. Saul, when your ego was small, when it wasn't about your physical stature, when it wasn't about your strength, when it wasn't about power, God elevated you. The Lord anointed you to be king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Verse 19, wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? But you saw the spoil, you saw the goods, and you did evil in the sight of the Lord. Samuel's not mincing words. He's not trying to sugarcoat it. He's not trying to pacify Saul and, 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 and try to salvage uh, Saul's ego and Saul's pride. But instead of mincing words, he said, Saul, because you got elevated in your own eyes, because the pride of life got into your spirit. It led to your demise. Samuel tells him the consequences of his action. And then in verse 28, or prior to verse 28, Samuel turns on a dime and he starts to march away. He starts to leave Saul behind, but Saul reaches out and grabs hold of the mantle of his coat. It's the, it's the outer covering that identified him as a man of God. He reached out and grabbed that coat and it ripped. 
in his hand and Samuel turns around in verse 28 and said unto him just like you rent my coat the Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to the neighbor of yours that is better than you and I can imagine Saul standing there thinking okay well then who is my neighbor just like that coat ripped just like that mantle ripped the kingdom has been ripped away from you and we see here that this was not something that was easy for Samuel to say this was not a moment of joy for the man of God let me just let you in on a little bit of pastoral insight when I gotta get into your business when I gotta start asking some hard questions that's not a moment of joy for me in fact that's the most uncomfortable that I am imagine Samuel being the same way fact I don't have to imagine we know he was the same way and Samuel verse 34 went to Ramah Saul went up to his house in Gibeah and Samuel came no more to see Saul till the day of his death. How could he do such a thing? Was he not bothered? Nevertheless, Samuel mourned Saul. One scholar by the name of Lang said it this way. After this, Samuel came no more to him bearing the messages and commands of God. And he no longer came giving him counsel and guidance from God. Saul's kingship, though still won, yet from this time lost its theocratic relationship. In other words, God's ambassador was called away from him. The intercourse of God, of the God of Israel with Saul through his spirit came to an end because Saul sinking step by step away from God and by continued disobedience and increasing impenitence, he wasn't repentant. He gave up his communion with God. It started in the open, wherever it started in his private life, I'm not sure. But in the open, it was justification of disobedience under the guise of worship. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. What had started out full of promise, what had started out full of faith, what had started out full of passion for that which was moral, that which was right, and that which was godly had fallen apart. You see, when Saul was first anointed to be king of Israel, the Bible tells us very plainly that Saul began to prophesy. 
But it had been a long time since Saul had prophesied. He had not maintained his relationship with God. What it started out so good, what it started out so moral, what it started out so right and godly had fallen apart due to a lack of sincere worship. It had fallen apart due to a lack of sincere altar building. It had fallen apart due to a lack of sincere communion with God. Samuel had had high hopes that Saul would not fulfill the prophetic utterance of 1 Samuel chapter 8 when he said you want an earthly king then this is the kind of king that you're going to get he's going to take your sons for his chariots he's going to take your sons for his horses he's going to take your sons and make them run before his chariots and his horses he's going to take your sons and make them captains over his farm fields he's going to make them reapers in his fields he's going to make them smiths to build weaponry and his chariots. He's going to take your your newly desired and beloved king will also take your daughters. He'll force them to be confectionaries. He'll force them to be cooks. He'll force them to be bakers. This earthly king is also going to take your best fields, your best vineyards, your best olive yards. Even if they're the best that you have, he's going to take them and he's going to give them away to his servants, the, utter, the utterance said. He's going to take the tenth of your seed. He's going to take the tenth of your vineyards and he's going to give them not to the high priest. He's not going to tithe on them. He's going to take them and give them to his officers. He's going to give them to his servants. He's going to take your men servants he's going to take your maid servants he's going to take your best men he's going to take your best women he's going to take your best years he's going to take your best energy he's going to take the best that you have and he's going to use it for himself he'll take your best cattle and use it for himself what starts out so great what's going to start out so promising just like the other nations have will turn into a situation that will make you weak let me preach to somebody tonight. That's what the earthly king desires to do. One commentary said this is going to be the manner of the king. He said he's going to follow. Uh, the following is a very just and graphic picture of the despotic governments which anciently and also still are found in the eastern portion of the world he said and into that conformity that's what the Hebrews wanted they didn't want God to be their their judge they didn't want God to be their king but they said I'm going to gradually slide into that kind of kingship but young person man woman boy and girl let me tell you today that the earthly king wants to take your sons and appoint them for himself The language used means it doesn't matter if you're willing to let them go or not. He doesn't care whether it's a peaceable transaction or a violent overthrow. He wants the best that you have. He wants your best years. He wants your best focus. He wants your best possessions. He wants your best ideas. He wants your best praise. He wants your best prayer. He wants your children. He wants your present. He wants your future. And he wants your field. 
He wants to distract you. He wants to detract from you. He wants to destroy your promise. He wants to depress your present. And he wants to obliterate your future. That's what the earthly king of the other peoples will do to your life. And despite Samuel's highest hopes, his deepest fears were realized. He began to mourn. He began to feel and express grief and sorrow. Not just for what had happened, but for what could have been. It could have been so different. The songwriter said, it's a life, but it's not the one you could have had. It could have been so different. The man of God, though while walking away from Saul, his shoulders were squared and his chin held high. Imagine once he got over that next hill. Deflated. The man of God mourned. But God repented. God was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. God began to console himself. I don't want God to look at my life and be sorry. I don't want God to look at my life and have to comfort himself. I know this is heavy right now. Samuel finds himself in a period of mourning. And God finds himself in a period of repentance. But there comes a day when God decided things need to start moving in a different direction. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Samuel, man of God, prophet, seer, Preacher, judge, how long will you hold on to something that you cannot change? You feel that shift right there? I felt it shift right there. I come to ask somebody tonight, how long will you hold on to something that you cannot change? 
man of God, woman of God, how long will you hold on to what could have been, to what should have been, but what can never be changed? Some commentators believe that Samuel mourned for Saul for 10 years before God asked him this question. We don't know how long, but that's what some historians believe. Imagine with me being in grief and mourning for 10 years. We've seen it. We know it. We've watched it happen. Grief and mourning. We bury ourselves with the dead. And we lose out on living because of something we cannot change. God was telling Samuel, Samuel, you've been holding on to the past for so long. How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Samuel, you cannot change it. But you've been holding on to it for so long that you've not been able to embrace the future. You've been holding out hope for something to change where change was not going to happen. Samuel, how long will you hold on? I've come to encourage somebody tonight. Stop holding on to what you can't change. Because if I've got my arms wrapped around something that I can't change, I can't grab a hold of something new. I can't grab hold of the future that God has for me. I can't grab hold of the next promise. I can't grab hold of the next season. But i got to be willing to let go of some things that I can't change. I come to encourage somebody tonight on this last night of 2022. you got to let go of past mistakes you gotta let go of past shame you gotta let go of past addictions you gotta let go of things that you can't change because god doesn't want you living there god's tired of watching you grab hold of things that are just dragging you backward and god's saying samuel i've rejected it samuel it's over Go to that next verse, Brother Stratton. Samuel, how long? How long? How long will you mourn for Saul, saying, I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? How long? I'm sorry, go back to verse 1. Fill thine horn with oil. Samuel, change isn't going to happen over there. Samuel, doesn't matter how much you worry about it. Doesn't matter how much you cry over Saul. Doesn't matter. You can't change it. It wasn't your decision. 
Saul made decisions. And you can't do anything to change it. But Samuel, even if it was a decision that you made, I imagine Samuel wrestling. God, I should have stayed in battle with him. No, Samuel, that wasn't your role. That was Saul's role. That role had shifted. The judges stopped going to battle when Israel wanted a king. Now that's the king's job. Samuel was the last judge. But he said, I'm old now. I've appointed my sons. And Israel said, no, it's not going to cut it. They saw some flaws in Samuel's sons. And perhaps Samuel was thinking, if I had just done things differently with my boys. If I had just done, maybe if I hadn't gone to church so much. Maybe if I hadn't drugged the boys down to clean the church. Maybe if I hadn't made the boys go mow the grass. Boys, we got some wicks to trim. Let's go to the temple. Let's go to the house of God. Let's do this. No, Samuel, you can't change it. And it wasn't because you drugged them to the house of God. Those boys had their own decisions to make. Now stop crying over what you can't fix. Say, Pastor, I thought this was a victorious time. It is a victorious time. We've experienced a lot of good in 2022. And I believe there's more to come. But we can't see what God wants to do in this next year if we won't let go of things that we can't change. How long will you hold on? How long will you cradle the dead promise? not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be graphic. I'm not trying to be ugly tonight, but I'm just asking how long, Samuel, will you hold on? It's done. It's over. But it could have been so great. Yes, it could have been so great. Imagine the trifecta of power with Saul reigning as king and David and Jonathan as princes and Abner as captain of the host. Imagine how it could have been. Yes, I know how it could have been, but it's not. And unfortunately, it doesn't matter now how it could have been. It only matters about what it can be. But if I never let go of what I lost, I never let go. You've been alive very long. You got some dreams, some things you were shooting for may not have happened. What do I do? Well, I could stop living my life and sit there and wait for things to change that will never change. Or, I can hear the words of God. Samuel, son, your oil has run dry. And all the tears and in all the weeping, Samuel, you forgot to fill your horn with oil. And oil has always been symbolic of the Holy Ghost. 
It's been symbolic of the, the Spirit of God, the anointing of God. Samuel! Just sit there and clutch to what could have been. If you just sit there and wallow in your mourning and in your grief, I'm I know mourning is real. I know grief is real. I've lived it. I've dealt with it. I've, I've, I've been through all that. I'll go through it again. I'm not trying to minimize it tonight. But I'm telling you that if, you'll, if you just make up your mind to live there, you're only going to be living in death. You're only going to be living in grief. You're only going to be living with the stench and the smell of what used to be. Don't roll that stone away. Surely he stinks by now, Jesus. Roll the stone away. Because when Jesus was weeping, he wasn't weeping over what was. He wasn't weeping over what could have been. He was weeping over the fact that they couldn't see what was coming. Martha, do you believe in the resurrection? Oh, yes, Lord, I know. In the last days, we're going to rise. I'm not a Sadducee. I know. He said, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, your brother doesn't have to wait until the end. But you got to make up your mind. I'm not living wallowing in the grief. I'm ripping off the black veil. I'm changing my clothes. I'm not wearing the black anymore. I'm not going to just wallow in my grief. Jesus, are you sure you want to roll the stone away? Yeah, I'm sure. Roll that stone away. Lazarus, come forth. But somewhere along the way, Jesus stopped and he's got in the spirit and he said, I'm not just going there so you can see another miracle, but I'm trying to prepare you for what's coming that I might die, but I've got power to rise again. I come to preach to somebody tonight. He's still the resurrection and he's still the life. I know you got dead dreams and broken visions that are just laying there. Joseph had them too. But because we serve the resurrection and the life, Joseph made up his mind. I'm not living in the prison. I'm not staying in the prison. I'm not staying in Potiphar's house. I'm not staying in the pit. I got to live bigger than this. How long will we hold on? I come to encourage somebody tonight. It's time to get back in the presence of God. Samuel, you fill your horn with oil, son. Samuel, you get back in my presence. Go find yourself a place to pray. Jesus, I, I don't know if I got any oil, then it sounds like there's some breaking that needs to happen. It sounds like there's some crushing that needs to happen. The olives. And the anointing can't come without the crushing. But if I just make up my mind, I'm just going to live there. Then all I get is the crushing and not the anointing. I'm not preaching about the plan of salvation tonight, but imagine. Regeneration. The regeneration of the Holy Ghost comes after repentance. After we die off. After we make up our mind, I'm not going to live the same way. I tried it my way. It doesn't work. Now I could choose to just live there. 
or I could arise and walk in newness of life. Or I could just sit here and shame myself until Jesus comes back. I'm going to be real plain right now. If I'm just sitting there shaming, sitting there wallowing in regret of what could have been, you know what I'm living in? I'm living in idolatry. How, Brother Isaiah? Because I'm making my situation bigger than God. And I'm saying that my situation and that my grief and the situation with Saul and the fact that he backslid and the fact that it wasn't what it could have been and, and this and that. God's not bigger than that. God is bigger than that. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I walked in with. You're right, I don't, but I know the resurrection and the life. I know that God that can bring that which was dead back to life. But he wants to know tonight, how long will you hold on to what could have been? How long will you live there? Fill your horn with oil, Samuel. Get back in my presence and get your vessel filled again. Why? Because it's time to move forward. And in my presence, you'll find the anointing that you need for the next stage in my presence. I'm sending you to Jesse's house. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself. King. Among his sons. Bethlehem. That's the least of the tribes. Yeah. It's the least of the cities. Bethlehem. You better believe it. But God's not in the business of sitting around crying about what could have been. Samuel, there's still breath in your body. Samuel, there's still more anointing oil where that came from. I come to preach to somebody tonight on New Year's Eve. It's time to get up. It's time to let go of what could have been, of what should have been, of things that you can't change now. But it's time to realize God's looking for another king. And he's been looking for some time. But he's been waiting on the man of God. He's been waiting on the child of God to stop crying long enough to live. Saying we shouldn't cry? No, I'm not saying we shouldn't cry. God gave us tear ducts for a reason. Don't be silly. Weeping may endure for a night. It's real. It happens. It's part of life. But joy comes in the morning. How long 
Am I going to hold on to dead dreams, broken visions? What could have been and what should have been? I want to go there, but I can't go there. I can't grab a hold of that if I'm constantly holding on to this. Oh, I want to take him over here. I want to take him. I want to take him to my future, but I can't grab hold of my future if I won't let go of my past. I wonder what kind of nudges and feelings God had been given to David while he was growing up. How did David respond to the drawing of the Spirit? David responded by worshiping. David responded by praying when he was all alone in the pasture. David, what are you doing here? With whom did you leave that small number of sheep? If David had just held on to the sheep of his father's pasture, he never would have gone onto the battlefield to face Goliath. But David wasn't living in the sheepfold. David was living in his identity in God. I'm not just a shepherd. I'm not just a little boy. I'm not just short in stature and ruddy in complexion. I'm not just some teenager that's between 14 and 16 years old facing down a nine and a half foot giant well, what did you do while you were in the sheepfold what did you do while you were out there in the pasture oh there was a lion that came along and instead of just sitting down and crying about losing a lamb, what'd you do, David? I grabbed a stone, I grabbed my sling, I grabbed my rod, I grabbed my staff, and I went after that sorry sucker. And I got my lamb back out of his mouth. I got my lamb back because I'm not just going to sit around and weep. I'm going after what God's got for me. How long will you hold on? And Samuel, it's time to get up. Samuel, it's time to break through. Samuel, it's time to get off the morning clothes. Oh, but you don't understand, God. What if my enemy finds out? Then so be it. You're going to worship because that's what worshipers do. They worship in the good times and they worship in the bad times. They worship when they're on the high and they worship when they're in the low. If my enemy hears about it, then I'm in trouble. It doesn't make sense. I don't know how it's going to work out to go where God's calling me to go. He said, but you got to get up. you got to get up. And you got to fill your horn with oil because there's enough anointing. Samuel, God's got a future in mind. No plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Not to harm you, not to destroy you, to prosper you, to give you an expected end. I tell you, God's got an expected end for you. But if you just constantly hold on, to what you've lost. If you just hold on to your mistakes, your arms, your hands, your spirit will never be free. Grab a hold. I want it, but I can't let this go. 
I know it's silly, but I wonder if that's why we lift up holy hands. I surrender. What am I surrendering? I'm surrendering the things that I can't change. Listen, there's only ever been one baby. Only ever been one baby that was born filled with the Holy Ghost. That was John the Baptist. Well, that Jesus, he was the Holy Ghost. What's that tell us? It tells us that no one of us walked into church without something to let go. Well, he's preaching to me. You're right, I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to every one of you. Pastor, what are we doing? We're getting ready to go into a new year. And, I, and we're not going to be able to see what God has in store for us if we maintain a grip on the things of the past. See, we've been through some stuff. Stop talking about it. You can't change it. I can't change it. I've tried. Doesn't work. I frustrate myself. It's probably why I'm bald. Let's tell some. Minister friends of mine, I think it was two o'clock this morning. Everything's blurred together. Go tell my wife, but I drank two energy drinks today, and they're not helping. Before two o'clock p.m., they're not helping. I feel like I got I need toothpicks in my eyeballs. I told some minister friends of mine last night, this morning, two o'clock. Man, I've been in some meetings sometimes where I felt myself age in my chair, sitting there, and I can feel it. One pastor friends of mine said, "Yeah, I'm 51 now." I said, "Yeah, buddy, I'm 33." feel like Jesus, I'm getting ready to die. To be like Jesus. So yeah, I'm 33 and I look like I'm 43. But if I get so stuck up, stuck out, and held down and bogged down by what's been, what's happened that I can't change, I'll never be able to lead you where God wants us to go. Notice with me that Moses left for the plains of Sinai, but he did not take the children of Israel with him the first time. He went out, and he was out in the wilderness in the plains of Sinai for 40 years. And then God said, now go back. But when you go back, Pastor, I thought you said we're not supposed to live there. I thought you said we're supposed to let that go. I thought you said we're supposed to drop that so we can move into the promise. I thought you said, I thought, I thought, I thought. Yeah. Moses didn't go back to live in Egypt. 
He didn't take Zipporah and his two sons so he could go back and live on, on the, the other side of the Egyptian border and just have the best of both worlds. He said, no, I got to go back because God said, well, the only time you're going back is to drag somebody else out. To lead somebody else out. Let me tell you, there's danger when you live in your sin. When you live in your mistake. God said, I didn't call you to live there. I called you up. I called you out so I could bring you into." The Bible said they went up and out of the land of Egypt. Egypt was a lower place. He had to bring them up so he could bring them out. So then he could bring them in too. Problem was, they couldn't figure out how he was going to take them in too. So everybody that was 40 years old and upward had to die off in the wilderness. How long do I hold on? There's generations that had to learn how to live by letting go. Let's stand. Preaching so long, my watch died. I believe with every fiber of my being that the king is ready to feel the anointing. David's just a little shepherd boy. Yeah, but in God's eyes, he's a king. You don't understand I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the last one that God would select. In fact, I'm the last one that men would select, but he's ready. You say, well, pastor, I came into the church with too much baggage. I came into the church with too much hurt. I came into the church with too much pain. I came in with too much mess and sin and dirt and muck and mire in my past. Made too many mistakes. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. All the while. God's saying, hey, no, 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 man of God, you better stand up. You're going to see what I want you to see. You've got to fill that horn with oil again. You've got to learn the lesson. You've got to get a grip. You're not going to be able to see what God has in store for you if you maintain just a grip on the things of the past that are holding you back. You gotta learn the lesson that's gotta be learned in that moment, and then you gotta let go of the pain. You gotta learn the blessing and let go of the bitterness. You gotta let go of the damage. You gotta let go, let go of the disdain. You gotta let go of the dregs. There's not. It's pretty nasty, wouldn't you think? A cup of coffee. It's been so good. It's been so bold. It's been so strong. It's been so smooth. You look down at the bottom of that little styrofoam cup, Sister Angie. You go to take that last swig. You see the coffee grounds rushing at you. Yeah. 
drinking a glass of sweet tea. I don't even know. Just don't drink on sweet tea. That's disgusting. Stop it. Get down to the bottom of the pitcher. There it is. Man. If I get hung up on the dregs, the remnants of that tea bag, what do you do? No, you dump it out. You rinse out the cup. You rinse out the pitcher. You grab the pot. You start the coffee pot. Put more tea bags in. Fill the pot up. Put it on the boil. Push a little button on your little fancy curing. Get ready for some more. Because why? Because we've learned something so simple that can be something so profound. i got to learn to live beyond the dregs. i got to learn to live beyond the grounds. i got to learn to live beyond the remnants of what was. And I gotta grab hold of the plan of God. I gotta grab hold of the promises of God. I gotta grab hold of the kingdom of God. I've gotta learn from the happenings. And then I gotta move forward. Let me tell you, there's been a lot of good in 2022, but there's also been some trials. There's been promises fulfilled, but there's also been some pain. But we gotta learn to let go when it's time to move forward. It's time to move forward it's time to make our way to the altar say God my horn it's filled with oil that psalmist that Samuel would anoint would write thou anointest Mine head with oil, my cup runneth over. I believe when Samuel hears the confirmation from God, he pulls the stopper out of his oil horn and he just lets it all run out. Why? Because he knows what he's been through to fill that horn with oil. And he knows how special this is. He knows that now as an old man, now as the old frail man that he was, on his way out of earthly ministry, Samuel understands that this young king needs the oil that I've saved up. He needs the oil that I've crushed. He needs the oil from my experiences. Let me preach to you tonight as we make our way to this altar, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before. I press toward the mark. I'm not holding on to the past. I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm not holding on to the things that I can't change. I'm grabbing hold of the things that I've got in the kingdom of God. Wonder working miracle God.